Well, good morning. Bryce is telling the truth. My name is Brian Legg. I'm part of our lead pastor team here at TBA. So glad that you guys could be here today. I know he just said it, but I just want to reiterate, be in prayer for our students this weekend. This is a really, really cool weekend for them. They're away at what they call winter retreat. It's something they do every year. And it's a weekend where our students are completely unplugged. And if you have a teenager or around a teenager or know of a teenager, you know that doesn't happen real often. So they get there on Friday night, they get rid of their cell phones and all of their electronic connections to the world. They don't get them back until Monday when it's all over, and ironically, they love it. But by the time they get to the end of the weekend, they are so glad that they had that time. It's a cool time for them to connect with one another. More importantly, it's a great time for them to connect with God. So let's continue to be praying for them. I've been hearing good things already from Winter Retreat. They're having a good weekend, but let's pray for them as they finish that out. Also, I just want to correct really quick. We had a little blooper in our announcements this morning, and this happens occasionally. And here's the disadvantage of video because it's a little harder to fix last minute. FPU does not start this week, even though he told you that. It starts next week. We got a week ahead when we were doing announcements. So that is next week, the 24th and Wednesday night that that's starting, not this Wednesday. Just wanted to correct that and make sure for those of you who are wanting to be a part. So last week, Stivey kicked off a new series for us called Brick and Mortar, as you just heard. And it's based around the concept of the Greek word koinonia. And hopefully you've heard that word before as we walk through experiencing God. But the Greek word koinonia most often translates very simply as fellowship. But I think the word's a lot deeper than you or I might actually think about when we think of fellowship. See, koinonia is a picture of truly doing life together in a way that promotes health, promotes healing, sharing, loving deeply. It's a picture of a pure and a holy relationship within community. In fact, the word is often used to describe our relationship with God as well as being used to describe our relationship with our Christian brothers and sisters, with our church family. And the big idea behind this whole series is to explore the things that will allow us to walk in relationship and function as a healthy body of Christ. The title pretty well says it, brick and mortar, it's the building blocks that hold us together. How can we be a healthy church? So here's one of the most profound statements I took away from Stivey's intro last week, and maybe it stood out to you too. He said this, your salvation is personal, but it's not private. Your salvation is personal, but not private. That's important. It's going to be important throughout this series that you think about that because our relationship with Christ is designed to be extremely personal, extremely intimate. But at the same time, no matter how deep you dig in Scripture, you're never going to find a place where it tells us that we're supposed to walk alone with Christ. Everywhere that you see something about our relationship with Christ is done in community. It's always with other people, with our Christian brothers and sisters walking together. And it's important that we keep that context as we start into this series. So this past week, our, our pastor team was able to have lunch with a guy named Ken Love. And if you've been around for a little while, you probably met Ken. He actually spoke here about a year, year and a half ago. Um, but Ken leads Florida Ministries, obviously here in the state of Florida, based on the name Florida Ministries. Um, but he also has served as one of our pastor team's coaches over the past couple of years. We had two or three guys that we invited in into relationship to just walk with us and help us kind of have some outside perspective and see things a little differently. And he was one of those guys that's been very encouraging and very helpful. Um, so as we got together, one of the things he asked, he just said, you know, what's happening at TBA? He said, I want you to tell me something that's encouraging that's going on at TBA and something that you're struggling with currently. And as you can imagine, as a church, we always have a little bit of that, things that are encouraging, exciting, things that we're struggling with a little bit. And so the three of us, you know, we're all wired very different. We think differently. We come from different perspectives. So we shared our own heart about the things that we saw. And it's interesting. It really lined up to be pretty much the same thing, the big, same big picture. 
we're encouraged by the many ways that we see God moving in our church, in our church family and individuals, but also in our church as a whole. We're seeing a lot of things happening where people are growing in relationship with God, where they're really developing more of that personal and daily relationship with Him. Especially as we walk through experiencing God, we saw more and more of that. We're also seeing how people are truly becoming disciples and also being willing to disciple others. And that's the growth that we want to see happen. And because of those things, we see huge potential in what God can do through our church um, here in this, within the church and also within the community. But the struggle that we see, and in the midst of all of that growth and the exciting things that are happening, is that we also seem to be daily battling a wealth of relational issues. And those can look like a lot of different things. And these are just areas where we see that Satan is constantly attacking. And, you know, why would you expect it to be any different? When God's doing good things, of course, Satan's going to attack and things are going to happen. But I look around and I know that there are marriages that are hanging on by a thread. I know that there are parents who are kind of at wit's end trying to figure out what to do with their kids and how to help. I see friendships that are fractured or broken and hurting. At times we see distrust either towards leadership or towards fellow brothers and sisters. There's selfishness, there's pride, there's gossip. It's all the stuff that you would expect to see like in a soap opera, right? Or maybe at the ball field. But the church, why would you see it there? We've got it all figured out. Or do we? Ken's response to our sharing was very simple. He said, you're just describing what it looks like to work out your salvation on each other. I went... Okay, so, you know, give me a little bit more about that. And he talked about how this is the basic growing that happens. We're all working out our salvation on a daily basis, of course. It's days where you fall down and you have to get back up. It's the struggles of life. It's the messiness of life that we all face. But we're doing that in relationship. We're walking in community together. And, of course, it's going to be messy because we're all sinful people. We live in a sinful world. We're going to mess up. There are going to be bad choices that we make. There's going to be things that we shouldn't do that we do anyway and that we don't even want to do. I think Paul said something about that in Romans. And we do it all in relationship, in community, together. So when I mess up, when I sin, when my attitude stinks or my pride kicks in and I think I know best, which is often, it doesn't just affect me. It affects everybody around me. And it's the same for you too. Because your walk with Christ is no different than my walk. It's a constant cycle of falling down and getting back up. In fact, I I don't know if you've heard him say it here, but Dave all the time in the office quotes this pastor friend of his. It was one of his pastors when he was in South Carolina before he moved here. And he says this all the time, I'm never down, I'm either up or I'm getting up. Think about that for just a second. Let it kind of resonate. I'm never down, I'm up or I'm getting up. That's the attitude that we all need to hold on to. And not just for ourselves, also for our brothers and sisters. We're following Christ together, and that means that I have a responsibility to help you get back up when you fall down. And that's not easy, especially when your falling means that I get hurt. See, our natural response is most often in a situation like that to seek justice. Or, if we're really being honest, it's more likely to seek revenge, right? We might say we're seeking justice, but... Most of the time, it's more likely revenge. And of course, we want to make sure others know about your failures so that they are warned and they don't get hurt by you the same way. Some people would call that slander or maybe gossip. We compare in order to make us feel better about ourselves because I'm not perfect, but at least I'm not like him or her. When we are wronged, we need somebody to make it right. 
justice has to be served, right? See, we may not always say it exactly like that or even admit that that's what we're doing, but the truth is most everything in society backs up this thought process and behavior for us. It's the normal human response, and it's sinful. Plain and simple, black and white, it's sin. It's not God's way. In fact, it's completely opposite of truthful biblical teaching. And it's the thing that Dave, Stivey, and I, all three communicated to Ken last week is our biggest challenge as a church, broken relationships, unhealthy relationships. And all of that ultimately boils down to one sinful condition, unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. And I'm not even sure that's technically a word. I tried to look it up and it kept kicking back at me. But you get the point. And it's a huge problem in the life of the believer and in the life of the church. See, far too many of us live our lives saying that we're following Christ, but choosing not to forgive. That's a complete oxymoron, biblically. It doesn't make any sense. In fact, let's look at a few scriptures that tell us about forgiveness. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32 says, Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Matthew 6, 14 and 15, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Colossians 3, 13, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Luke 6, 37, do not judge others and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others or it will all come back against you. Forgive others and you will be forgiven. Mark eleven twenty five. but when you are praying, first forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. Matthew 18, 21 and 22, then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. If you do the quick math, that's a lot of forgiveness. Do you get the point? And see, all these scriptures that I just read to you, they're just the tip of the iceberg about what the Bible tells us about forgiveness. Forgiveness is not just a suggestion. It's not just something that's casually mentioned because it's going to make life more enjoyable or more easy. It's a command of God. In fact, forgiveness is a part of the very character of God. It's a part of who he is, and we are called to be imitators of God. I don't think there's any one quality that more beautifully reflects God to the rest of, world, of the world around us than forgiveness does. Think about it. Forgiveness lies at the core of true love. You heard the illustration Brian made last week from Ruth Graham about how she and Billy Graham stayed married for so long because of forgiveness. They were two forgiving people. Forgiveness is the very foundation of grace that we talk about all the time. Our relationship with Christ is only possible because of forgiveness. But here's the problem. Here's the thing that trips us up, even when we understand that forgiveness is a command, and even when we want to be obedient in this area. Forgiveness is expensive. The cost of forgiveness is high, no matter what the offense. And I'm using financial terms here on purpose because it's something we can relate to. If there's one thing that we all understand well, it's financial cost, right? Words like debt, or expensive, or costly, those things resonate with us. We get that. We understand that. And forgiveness relates well to those terms. 
And before you think I'm smarter than I am, the truth is I just stole that from Scripture. Because Scripture after Scripture after Scripture relates forgiveness to financial terms so that we can have a good understanding. When Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray, he uses these words. Maybe you've heard this, Matthew 6, 12. And forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. That's New Living Translations. One of my favorite translations use it all the time. A lot of other translations actually get it a little better on this verse. When they say, and forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are our debtors, right? You've heard those words, maybe memorized Lord's Prayer that way. Why do you think he's using a financial term there? It's to help us in the understanding. That's actually a little bit closer to the Greek when you use that financial term. And it's used to depict forgiveness. Interestingly, if you go back to the Matthew 18 passage I was talking about, the story that unfolds there is a huge story that uses all kinds of financial terms to help us understand the concept of forgiveness. Peter asked Jesus that question. Jesus responds by telling this big, long story. And for your sake, I'm not going to read the story to you this morning because I may already go a little bit long. But I'm going to encourage you to read it this week. In fact, I put it in your notes for you to read it as part of your small group stuff. So make sure you do. But it's the story of the unforgiving debtor. And basically the story goes like this. There's a king who has loaned a bunch of money to one of his servants. In our terms, it would be millions of dollars. I don't know the exact term of what it would be, but it'd be in the millions. So this servant owes the king a million dollars, okay? That's a debt he's never going to be able to repay. There's no way. And he goes to the king and he begs for forgiveness of the debt. He begs for him to let him go from it. There's no way I'll ever repay you. The king has every right to throw him into prison, to have him tortured, to take his kids, to to make him a slave, to do whatever he has to do to get the money back. But the king forgives the debt. And then the story goes on that that same servant who just was forgiven millions of dollars was owed a few thousand dollars from somebody else, one of his fellow servants. And right after he had been forgiven that huge debt, he goes out and he demands repayment from his fellow servant. You've got to give me my money. And he has him thrown into jail. Now, there are a lot of important things we can pick up from that passage, from that story. But I think one of the most important things that we need to understand about forgiveness is what the passage actually doesn't say. But it's implied because of the financial terms that are used. See, when the king forgives the debt, or for that matter, when anybody forgives a debt, what happens to the money that was lost or that was owed? What happens? Nothing. Nothing happens to it. He doesn't get it back. He has no other ways of repayment. When that king forgives that debt for millions of dollars, he just lost millions of dollars. Now, it's one thing when I forgive my kid $5 because I loaned it to him at McDonald's. It's another thing when somebody owes me a million dollars and he just forgives that. The money's not coming back to the king. He absorbs the cost of that debt. And here's a very important understanding that's implied in the story that's very easy for us to miss. When forgiveness is extended, there's always, I repeat, always, you can even underline it, a cost. Always a cost. When forgiveness is extended, there's always a cost. And this is true whether we're talking about a monetary debt, whether we're talking about a wound that has happened to us, some way that we've been hurt, or whether we're just talking about plain and simple sin. There is always a cost involved in forgiveness. The king in the story lost a lot of money, and that was significant cost to him. But that story is designed to illustrate our stories. See, if we compare that to our story, the huge debt that's owed that millions of dollars, that's what we owe to God for our sin. 
Because God is perfect and his law demands perfection and it demands justice when it comes to sin. We owe a huge debt and all we have to do is ask for forgiveness and he freely extends it. But there still is a cost. It doesn't make the cost go away. And that's exactly what happened on the cross 2,000 years ago. When Jesus hung on the cross and died for you and I, that was payment of our sin debt for God. In fact, even Jesus' last words on the cross were financial in nature. Did you realize that? The word that he uses there that we translate all the time it is finished was tetelestai. Tetelestai was more often used to translate the words paid in full. In fact, it's the word that would be stamped on the top of a financial note to show that that note had been paid in full, that everything was good, that it was taken care of. If you owed money for your car or for your house or you had taken a loan out from someone and you paid that off, they would stamp that on the top of the note to tell us, I paid in full. This debt is no more. It's taken care of. And that's what Jesus said on the cross right before he died to tell us, I paid in full. See, there's always a cost for forgiveness. And Jesus paid that price with his life in our place. So now what do we do? See, as I look at this, I see that we're left with a choice. We can choose to be like the servant in the story who turned and demanded payment from his fellow servant, or we can choose to be like the king who absorbed an exponentially large debt to set us free. And if we choose to be like the king, to be that reflector and that imitator of God like he commands us to do, that means that we must forgive. And it means that we must absorb the debt, just like he did for us. Talk about taking up your cross for Jesus. Talk about dying to self. Here's a practical example, right? The simple but very difficult truth here is that that's the only way we'll ever truly experience koinonia. A real fellowship with God and with our Christian brothers and sisters is to be able to extend forgiveness and walk in that healthy relationship But on the other hand, the other portion of that choice is that if we choose to be like the servant in the story who turned and demanded payment from his fellow servant, the story goes on to tell us that the king called him back in. He reprimanded him, said, you wicked servant, I have forgiven you so much and you've turned and demanded payment out of your fellow servant who's done so little to you. And he throws him into prison to be tortured until he can repay the full debt that he owes. And in fact, at the end of the story, Jesus goes on to make this statement, Matthew 18, 35 He says, that's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from the heart. Man, that's a powerful scripture. I don't know about you, but that's one of those that kind of hits you between the eyes for me. You read that and you go, wow, he's serious here. This command to forgive is a big deal. We are commanded to forgive And we have been forgiven much. There is no debt owed to us, no wrong done to us that can even come close to the debt that God has forgiven for us. That command to forgive really even goes beyond just our Christian brothers and sisters. It goes way beyond. But I'm not even going to go there today for sake of time. I just want to focus on us here, TBA, this church family, this relationship, how we're walking, hopefully, in healthy relationship. I want to talk about how we can experience koinonia and be the church that God's calling us to be. If you guys know me very well at all, and and most of you have been around long enough now that you do somewhat, you know I'm not an artist. I don't paint pretty pictures. I don't make nice, pretty, flowery stories and all that stuff. If you want that, Stivey's your guy. He's amazing at taking a harsh biblical truth and making it pretty and giving you these great illustrations around it and, and helping you understand it. I love it. 
I'm more of a throat punch and let the chips fall where they may kind of guy. I just am. Black and white, here's how it is. Let's deal with it. Let's walk through it. That's probably why I offend people a lot of times, and I promise it's not intentional. But see, for me, all of this really boils down to one simple question. And the question's one of those that very few of us even want to ask, much less answer. Am I willing to absorb the cost of extending forgiveness to, and you fill in the blank? I underlined extending there, but really probably what I should have underlined was, am I willing to absorb and then cost? Because those are the things that get our attention. Am I willing to absorb the cost of extending forgiveness to whoever it may be? Maybe it's your spouse that's hurt you. Maybe it's that annoying person in your small group that just won't leave you alone and they keep coming back week after week. Maybe it's the greeter that didn't smile at you very well this morning when you came in because they were busy doing something else. Maybe it's the friend that's talking behind your back and you know it, but they keep doing it. Maybe it's the leader who didn't handle a problem very well, didn't address your conflict very well, didn't make you feel better when something bad happened. Maybe it's the pastor that didn't follow up with you when you needed him most. Might even be that person that embarrassed you and and they even came and apologized for it, but you know they didn't really mean it. See, it doesn't really matter the details of the situation. It matters how you choose to handle it. Let me say that again and make sure you're hearing. It doesn't really matter the details of the situation. It doesn't matter who you're upset with. It doesn't matter who needs the forgiving or what they've done. What matters is how you choose to handle it. You have the option of choosing to forgive, and we've made it clear that that choice is going to cost you something, some situations more than others. Or you have the option of holding on to that debt and keeping that person in a position where they owe you. If you choose forgiveness, it gives opportunity for God to work. It gives opportunity for reconciliation, for restoration of relationship to begin to happen. But if you choose not to forgive, I can assure you that it will destroy. It will destroy you. It will destroy your family. It will destroy your church family and beyond. I think I need to emphasize here that forgiveness is a choice that we make and it's an action we take even when we don't feel like it. It's a lot like love and you've probably heard this expressed about love that sometimes you have to give love without feeling in love. If you're married, you get that. There's days where your spouse can make you mad and you have to choose to show love to them even when you don't want to show love. You don't feel very in love that day. It's not the frou-frou, we just started dating kind of love. It's, I'm going to choose to love you even though I'd rather smack you in the face. And you've all felt that. I heard a bunch of amens. Y'all are getting slapped. I'm seeing it coming. You're in trouble when you get home. See, I can make the choice to forgive somebody even when my feelings are screaming that they deserve every bad thing that's coming their way. And most of the time, that's what our feelings are screaming. 
I know I make it sound kind of simple when I fully understand it's not. I break it down kind of like this. You know, there's sometimes that there just are little things that we need to put into practice. Like 1 Peter 4.8 says this. It says, most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. For love covers a multitude of sins. This is for the little stuff. Basically, overlook the small things. Absorb the cost. Move on without making an issue of it. And the truth of the matter is, the more you grow in your relationship with Christ, the more you allow God to speak into your life and grow you and help you to see things differently, to have different perspective, you're going to grow kind of thicker skin. And there's going to be times that somebody does something to you where you go, ah, not that big a deal. I'm going to let it go. I'm just going to let that ride. I know they didn't intend to do that. I know that that's not something they do all the time. I'm talking about the little things where they make a stupid little remark or they say something irritating and, you know, that's really the first time they've offended you that way. You know it wasn't intentional. You know, you know that's not a pattern in your life and you learn to just overlook it and you can truly do that to where you go, this is not going to be something I hold on to. Not a big deal. I'm just going to let it go. Love covers a multitude of sins. But then there's also some of those debts, some of those wrongs that need to be addressed. Maybe there was some kind of severe hurt, or maybe it was something that actually was done intentionally. Maybe they were out to get you, to bring harm, or to cause you trouble. Or maybe it's a pattern of bad behavior that you see where they're causing problems for all the people around them. And in those moments, there has to be some kind of resolve. There needs to be forgiveness extended, but there also has to be an effort made to point out the fault and love for the purpose of helping them grow. That's where it gets difficult. Because when you've hurt me, when you've offended me, and especially if it's multiple times, it's not easy to reach out in love. I might want to reach out and lay hands on, but not so much in love. Isn't that how we feel? Come on, be honest. I'm not the only guy in here that feels this way. It's hard when you've been offended. It's hard when you've been hurt. It's hard when somebody's done something to wrong you where justice needs to be served. When you find yourself in that situation, the only thing you can do is start with prayer. When the offense seems too big to be able to forgive, you have to start with prayer for that person. And I'm not talking about prayer that something bad will happen to them or prayer that they'll get what they have coming to them, or you all know the kind of prayer I'm talking about. I see some of you smiling. You do this. I'm not alone. I'm talking about prayer for their good. I'm talking about prayer that God will bless them in their life, that good things will happen to them, that he'll be able to help them become the person that he's created them to be. Just being honest, sometimes it's a journey that you have to walk. And there are times where even when you commit to pray for somebody, it may take a month, it may take a year, it may take five years or longer where you're praying every day for them before you begin to see any kind of heart change happening. But I can assure you that if you really make it a matter of prayer, if you're serious about it, if you walk it day in and day out, praying for that person, praying for their good, praying for God's blessings in their life, praying that they will have new understanding... God will show up and start to do amazing things in your heart. Even if nothing happens with the other person. And you need to hear that. Because forgiveness is not about making something right. If somebody's wronged you, forgiving them doesn't make it right. And forgiveness 
does not mean that the hurt goes away or that you don't remember or that you don't pay the price. I've already told you there's a huge cost for forgiveness. But as you pray for someone and pray God's blessings, he begins to change your heart and your perspective to where you see that person differently. And if you're walking in the middle of that right now, you probably go, that's not possible. I'm never going to like that person. I'm never going to feel good about them. I'm never going to get there. But day by day, God will change your heart. And maybe he brings you to a place where you can have a conversation with them. Or maybe even just to sit down and write a letter to them. To share what you're feeling and to pass that forgiveness on. And to open a conversation because the stuff's just too hard to talk about personally right now. But it's when you've spent that time in prayer and allowed God to change your heart that it allows you to make that difficult choice to absorb the debt. Now, I know that there's some of you in the room who probably have experienced that kind of hurt, maybe are walking in it right now. Somebody's just hurt you deeply, and it's a serious thing, and it's going to be a long road. I just want to encourage you. Walk the journey. It's worth it. Choose to be obedient. Choose to make that effort to forgive. Make the choice to forgive, even when you don't feel like it. Pray every day for that person. Commit that to prayer. Not just pray for him this morning on Sunday morning because Brian said so. I'm talking about every single day. If you have to put a reminder in your phone, whatever you have to do, pray for that person. Pray God's blessings on them. Start that journey. It's worth it, and God will bless your obedience. But especially here in our church family, the things that I see and experience, I would say for most of us the simple truth is that Our pride lets us get wounded way too easy and it keeps us from being obedient and choosing to forgive. If you have something against your brother or sister, you need to make the choice to forgive them even though you don't want to because the only way we'll become the church God wants us to be is to choose forgiveness and to begin to walk in that koinonia fellowship, that relationship that is pure and holy and right and healthy. That's the only way we're really going to be the church where others see God through us. In fact, Scripture tells us that, that others will know Christ because of our love within the body. It doesn't say because of how we love those outside the church. It says people will come to know Christ because of our love for each other in the church. Our relationships here. If we can't love each other, how in the world are we going to love anybody else? If we can't forgive here, how in the world are we going to forgive outside of here? I think Frederick Buechner said it best when he said this. To forgive somebody is to say one way or another, you've done something unspeakable. And by all rights, I should call it quits between us. Both my pride and my principles demand no less. However, although I make no guarantees that I'll be able to forget what you've done and that we may both carry the scars for life, I refuse to let it stand between us. I still want you for my friend. To accept forgiveness means to admit that you've done something unspeakable that needs to be forgiven. And thus both parties must swallow the same thing, their pride. Man, you guys go ahead and make your way up this way. Near the end of our Experiencing God series, if you were here, I talked on the subject of koinonia specific to our church body and the fellowship that we have. And at the end of that day, we were going to take communion together as a church family. And if you remember... I challenged you that day to say, if you are struggling in your relationship with God, if there's something not right in your heart, or even more importantly, if you're struggling in your relationship with somebody else, 
If things aren't right between you and a family member, between you and somebody here in our church, between you and whoever it is, I want you to go and make that right before you come back and receive communion. I gotta be honest, I was a little shocked that morning at how few people came and took communion. On one hand, I was kind of impressed because I realized, wow, they're really thinking about it. You know, we're really on the same page. People are being introspective. They're considering this. They're being honest. There's integrity here. You know, people are really wrestling through it, and that's a good thing because this is the journey we're on. None of us are perfect. But on the other hand, it also helped me to see we've got a lot of unhealth in our body. And I'm not speaking poorly towards you. I'm talking about these are the things, the wounds that we carry, the hurts that we carry, the things that cause bitterness in us that keep us from being who God wants us to be, that keep us from being the church God wants us to be, that keeps us from walking in koinonia and that kind of fellowship and that relationship that he wants us to walk in. And I'm just guessing because I didn't count heads, but I would guess that close to 50% of our church family that morning didn't come and receive communion. That's a big deal. And again, hear my heart. I'm not busting your chops. I'm right there with you. I'm walking in those same kinds of journeys, those same struggles. We all feel those same things. We go through the same stuff. I'm not asking you to be perfect because we're not. We're sinful people. There will never be a perfect church. There will never be perfect people. I get all of that. That's the whole falling down and getting back up thing. That's the journey we're on. But see, my greatest desire is that we walk forward into God's vision for TBA as a healthy body, unified, ready to respond in obedience to whatever God asks of us. And that starts here today with this topic of forgiveness. It starts with this one single choice, to forgive or not to forgive. Scripture doesn't give us an option on it. It's a command. Forgive. That scripture that I read at the end of Matthew 18 hits me every time I read it. God has forgiven us of so much and he expects us to turn and forgive others. We're to be a reflector of his image in that way, an imitator of him. So what's God asking of you today? And how will you respond to that? As we do every Sunday, Next Steps is available. Joni's back there. I'll be back there. I'm sure there'll be some others. We would love to talk and pray with you. That may not even be what you need. Maybe you need to go to somebody. Maybe you need to make the choice to extend forgiveness, even though you've been hurt, even though that they did a wrong thing. You know what's crazy is half the time somebody wrongs us, they hurt us, and we expect them to come and beg for forgiveness, and they don't even know they've done anything. We're so upset over it, we're so worried about it, and we don't want to extend forgiveness until they come and ask, but the truth is they don't even know they've offended us. And you know what happens when we do that? It's like every day we drink a little bit of poison, expecting them to hurt. How's that work out for you? It'll destroy you from the inside. It'll destroy those around you. Don't wait another day. Don't wait for somebody to come to you. If God's working on your heart and he's telling you there's something that you need to forgive, make the choice to absorb the cost. Make the choice 
to go to that person and extend forgiveness, even if you don't feel like it. Don't be fake about it. Don't just go and say, hey, I forgive you because you want to point out that they've offended you. That's not the right way either. Make the choice to extend forgiveness and to bear that cost. Even though you don't want to, even though everything in you screams, you deserve justice. Because that's how we start to build healthy relationships. That's how we walk forward in Koinonia. That's how we become the church God wants us to be. That's how we impact this community. That's how we make a difference in the world around us. We can serve all day long, and if our relationships here are not right, we're going to be limited on what God can do. Let's do the right thing. The band's going to come in just a minute. They're going to sing a new song called Come to the Altar. And Sherry, I'm sure we'll say something about it in a minute, kind of prep you. But I want to just encourage you to listen to the words of the song and just kind of sit and reflect and let God speak to your heart as they sing this. And then I want you to respond in obedience however God lays on your heart. If you need to come pray, come pray. It talks about coming to the altar and praying. If you need to go talk to a person, go talk to a person. Even if you need to step out in the lobby and call somebody, do that. Like I told you, I'm specifically concerned about our relationships here within our church family right now, but the truth is this forgiveness thing extends way beyond that. So whatever God's laying on your heart, you be obedient and follow him in that. Let's pray. God, I just thank you that you continue to speak to our heart. I thank you that you have forgiven us of such a huge debt. And God, the truth is none of us deserve forgiveness. None of us deserve the grace that you've extended to us. All of us deserve death because of the way we've lived our lives, the choices we've made that are so far off from your perfect law and your expectations. But yet you chose to absorb the cost by allowing your son to die on the cross for me and for all of us. So God, help us not to take that lightly. Help us to recognize the cost that you paid for our debt of sin. And I pray that you would help us to be obedient, to forgive others. God, don't let us be that person who becomes bitter and and becomes hateful towards others because we're drinking that rat poison every day and expecting the other person to die. We say it like that and we know it sounds stupid and it's crazy, but yet it's what we do all the time. It's our natural, sinful, human response. And so, God, I pray that you would help us just to see it differently this morning and to to choose to take that risk to step out and to trust you and to to begin to pray for that person, to allow you to begin to change our hearts and help us to have a different perspective and see things differently. God, I know that this is not a quick fix kind of thing. It's not one of those where we can have just a simple conversation, everything's over. Sometimes that happens, but normally this is a journey that we have to walk on and we have to trust you in that journey. So help us to do that. Give us the strength and the courage to do that. But let today be the day that we start that journey. That we make the decision not to just hear this here on Sunday morning and go out and forget about it, but we make the decision to every day from this point forward to make that effort, to pray for that person, to extend that forgiveness, to walk with an attitude of forgiveness, to be that imitator of your very character. May we be obedient in our response today. It's in your name we pray. Amen.